This podcast was created on Messy. Create your own show today at Messy.fm. If I was to ask you what the primary role of a church leader might be, what would you say? If I told you that it was to establish clarity and direction in the big foundational things that give the organization identity and unique purpose, would you agree? Well, it's definitely one of the things a leader must do. And if churches would be led in a way that holds the standard within the parameters of the big foundational things, leaving room for nuance and personality, and context in the things that are not non-negotiable, a culture would build that allows people to find their place within the mission of God. It would breed simple, breed clarity, breed involvement and engagement, and leave room for the varied grace of God's people to be unleashed within the mission of the church. Sounds like a great place to visit, right? Well, in this episode, I talk with Chad Merrill, the lead pastor at North Rock Hill Church. Two years ago, Chad moved his family to North Rock Hill in South Carolina to take on the role of a lead pastor there, and since then has been establishing clarity. Chad shares with me a process he used to help his staff cultivate clarity and then collaboratively work together to implement this new language within their congregation that now drives all of their ministry decisions. Whether you are a church of 25 or 2,500, I think this episode will challenge and encourage you and give you some practical steps to get started on the journey that Chad is two years in. We talk about why this process matters, and in the show notes, I share with you several resources we talk about that his team used to implement these ideas. Now, this is a crockpot process. It's, he's two years in, so I think you're really going to value this. If you're new to the Culture Bus Tools podcast, I want to welcome you to the show. My name is Chris Rivers. I'm the host. I live here in Greenville, South Carolina, and I coach and consult through Culture Bus, uh, and I am also the director of ministry projects for Grace Church in Greenville, South Carolina. This podcast has really just been a way for me to learn from others and find ways to grow in my personal leadership, and I just want to invite you to join me and grow too. So I would welcome you to subscribe, rate, and review the show, and we'll go from there. So let's listen in to this interview I have with Chad. Awesome. So I'm, I'm sitting here with Chad Merrill. Chad, tell us where you are in the world today. Man, I'm in the lovely Rock Hill, South Carolina. Most people call it South Charlotte uh-huh. <laughs> area of, 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 of South Carolina at North Rock Hill Church. We've been here almost two years and we love it. Yeah. So I know that we've, been ha- we've had the chance to connect multiple times. Um, we met at a conference years ago, but um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'd love to have our listeners know a little bit about who you are and how you even got to North Rock Hill. Yeah, so I spent most of my life trying not to be a pastor. Uh, there were, I thought there were enough of those in my family. And so uh, I went to make my mark in corporate America and okay. uh, spent, spent right at about 20 years in corporate America uh, doing all kinds of things. Where, wherever systems and processes meet with mm-hmm. people, it just made sense to me. So I was in the operations world. I did logistics, uh, food processing. We made DVDs for a while, plastic injection molding, different things like that. Wow. Just kind of did uh, did a lot of things, had a lot of fun. I was kind of known as the guy that could come in and, and fix the, the, the areas that weren't making money. Yeah. So that led into... Uh, some time consulting, just spending time with, uh, with, with people, evaluating processes, learning how to ask questions, those kind of things. But God really did a work in me uh, in, in the early 2000s uh, when my first marriage ended. Uh, mm. there, was, uh, there was some infidelity on, on her part, those kind of things. And, 
And I uh, just found myself a single dad really trying to figure out what, what's really important, right? Wow. And uh, so I had to work. I had to raise these kids. I had four kids by myself, and nothing shifts perspective like that. And so I, uh, I just started leaning into the scriptures, leaning into um, community, uh, really uh, just loving the church again. Uh, I'd always been close to it, but just really not engaged in it uh, full time. And so God just used that to put me in some positions where I, I was able to uncover some new gifts and, and how even how he had wired me applied in the church. And so I never meant to be a pastor. Uh, people just kept asking me to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And one day in, uh, in 2000, uh, 2011, uh, my pastor in West Monroe, Louisiana, asked me, to take on the role of campus pastor uh, slash replanter for a church we were replanting as a campus of First West Baptist Church in West Monroe, Louisiana. And God just did something in me that really, uh, really just felt like he was making it clear that was our next step. And so I don't know how we got here. All I know is there was a bunch of little tiny next right steps and we tried to start doing the right thing. And one day it was, it was to be a pastor. Wow. Um, so we spent about seven, seven, eight years there uh, doing that. We got to, got to coach a lot of uh, church planters, do a lot of revitalization work, and just had a really cool ministry there as a, as a campus pastor and a member of the executive team at that church. And then uh, God just started to stir in us again at the most inconvenient time, and we ended up um, leaving two adult children in college uh, and in their career in Louisiana and coming to Rock Hill and moving one daughter in her senior year, one daughter in her junior year mm. uh, to Louisiana. And man, uh, God has just really worked in us and, and shown up in a big way through that move. It's been fun. Mm. So eventually you got remarried. Yeah, man. So, so in when was that? Was that during that to that time or? Yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was about 2007 when, um, when I just had a, a major moment, uh, or 2000, yeah, 2006, 2007, just had a major moment of repentance and just uh, brokenness in my life and really made peace with the fact that um, a lot of choices I had made led me into a relationship that wasn't great. And, uh, and now God had redeemed that by make, giving me custody of four children and, and the means to protect them and, and to raise them. And I just remember just saying, God, I don't know why you don't have uh, I don't know if you have someone for me, but even if you don't, I'm going to raise these kids up and I'm going to follow you mm. and I'm going to raise them to do the same. And so about a year and a half later, um, I found myself married to the lovely Tanisha Lehman. And she is just the <laughs> walking, talking grace of God in my life, man. She wow. is the greatest second chance I ever had other than, mm. other than heaven. Well, man, I definitely, I definitely want to learn from dads. I mean, I've never, I don't know many dads that had an experience like that. I mean, normally it's the female, it's the wife that yeah. has the issue. But um, I mean, I definitely would also say that what I'm learning is that the home is is macro and the church is micro. Like, yeah. you, know, you got to learn how to lead your family before you can really ever learn how to lead others. Do you, do you agree with that? Is that a thought you've had before? I mean, what do you think about that? Cause I totally agree with that. I think, I think it's even one of next to aspiration to leadership. You know, it's one of the qualities of elders, you know, yeah. it, that, that's most important is what do you see in, in how they lead at home that would lead you to see that their character and their, their faith is, is legitimate and, and worthy of leading within the church, within the faith family. Yeah. And so for me, man, a lot of, a lot of how I lead comes from 
what I learned in corporate America, but I would say even more of how I pastor comes from, from learning how to be a dad. Yeah. Learning how to leave room for individual uh, gifts and skills and experiences for, you know, four or actually five now wildly different kids, Mm. Um, how to uh, give them room to fail, uh, how to, uh, help them through adversity, how to help them. Yeah, I think over and over, I just learned that there's just need to to really be concrete in the big things and hold loosely the small uh, preferential things and, and, and stylistic things, contextual things. And you know, I learned that from raising a bunch of kids that are wildly different. And it, mm-hmm. and it really applies to, to uh, how I pastor and how I lead in here. Well, that's what I really wanted to talk with you about. I know that we've had some discussion recently back and forth and, you know, we, we just had really great dialogue around this idea of leadership principles, what you're learning, what you're applying, what you're loving right now. And one of the things that we've kind of had in discussion and dialogue back and forth is this idea of just a void of strategic leadership in the church. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered if maybe you could just expound a little bit on that, what, what you mean by that. Um, what, you know, what do you mean by there is a void of true strategic leadership in churches? Yeah, I think one of the most shocking things to me, Chris, when I came from corporate America into the church, you know, I, I didn't realize um, uh, that, there, that there was a void of strategic leadership. You know, I grew up in a pastor's home. I've been very active in church. Uh, but when I came into the organization, you know, and kind of behind the curtain, I realized that, man, the, the, the men who lead in the church are incredibly gifted expositors of the word. They, they love people. Man, they love people. Yeah. Um, but that the seminaries and, and even just the, the values that a lot of churches carried um, almost looked at some of the organizational principles and ways to uh, empower and, and develop leaders and, 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 and mobilize people. They almost looked at those strategic and methodical things as, as unspiritual. And uh, that was shocking to me. Uh, you know, there's, there, there's no greater organization in the world than the church. Yeah. And there's absolutely an element for faith and, 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 and the element of that if God doesn't show up in the work of the church, that, that it will be futile. But there's also this just organization within the church um, that has allowed it to scale and to sustain over all the years as God has entrusted leaders and and, uh, and, and giving us the model of multiplication, those kind of things. So I was really just shocked at, at that, hey, a lot of times we don't know the why behind what we're doing, mm-hmm. or we haven't really thought past the, the, the moment of God's leading us to do something and how that will play out in the most efficient or effective ways. And, uh, man, that was, that was kind of hard, but then it was also really um, – um, a, a, a aha moment for me is that, Oh, maybe this is why God, God has brought people like me into the church. Maybe that's why there is this n- relatively new phenomenon of corporate America feeding a lot of people into the leadership structure of the church mm. because those things are needed. Well, I, I, de- I definitely agree with you. And I, and I want to mention, I just, I don't know, felt led to read this one past pastor, this one, um, passage of scripture it's acts 20 28 and, and it's and paul um is is meeting with the ephesian elders and he says he's given them kind of some leadership and he's given them some wisdom and he says so guard yourselves and god's people feed and shepherd god's flock his church 
purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. And I want to echo what you're saying because I do believe that the church um, is God's kind of design. It is, it, you know, you, I want to talk a little bit about some of the shifts that need to happen as a leader in the church that you've had. But I mean, this is a big deal. Like the church was purchased with Christ's blood. And so there's power in the church and, and there's, um, it's, it's a big responsibility. So in kind of, I, mean, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, when you, when you see that, that word, uh, in the translation, I read that word elder is or leader is, is, is translated overseer. Yeah. You know, overseer really gives a, a, a perspective that's needed. It's, it's not that you're, you're there to care for the sheep. It's that you're th- there to oversee that the sheep are cared for. It's mm. that you're there to, to oversee their protection and ensure their protection, to oversee their direction and ensure their direction more even so than, than, than leading them uh, uh, individually or doing the work yourself. It's, it's depending on the size of your flock, there's some complexity that's needed in oversight, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's necessary. I, I just, I even also see it in the 12 disciples, you know, Jesus, um, he, he led 12, but he really spent all his time with three. And, and he asked them to leave the other nine. And, uh, and so I think that's really, really um, important to, to remember. I also think, you know, the more I dive into that, you know, I said I was shocked by it. Uh, I understand it now. The more I dove into why it was that way, culture t- t- tends to swing the pendulum way past where we need to be. Mm-hmm. So if we think things are too far left, we swing them way to the right. And then we get too far over there, we swing them way back to the left. And we kind of miss the middle a lot. What I'm seeing in the church now is that that pendulum is starting to to settle. There was a there was kind of a, a granola approach to church, and then it became back into the Sunday school. And you know there was a need for missions, but we're missing uh, uh, knowledge and, and education and equipping. So we swing it too far back that way, and we forget missions. But what I'm seeing is um, is in the church a more settled view, a more comprehensive view that we absolutely understand the, the need to pastor and to have the, theology that is that is right and to be foundationally equipped in doctrines and theologies. But we also need to be able to lead and to scale and to systemize ministry so that people can more readily on-ramp into that ministry and, and, and be a part of it so that we can mobilize people and raise up disciples. Mm-hmm. I think really the key, Chris, is if we're going to have a robust uh, view of discipleship, there's a, there's a, there's a necessary structure to that to, to sustain it. And uh, I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing in the local church in America as that pendulum swings back. Um, you know, it was, it was all systemic educational. Then it went to attractional and it's kind of really settling back in the middle to that gospel driven discipleship model. Like I think mm-hmm. you guys are trying to do and we're trying to do. Yeah. So when you think about this um, structure that you're talking about, you're new to Rock, North Rock Hill. Um, you're you're coming in as as a new leader that 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 understands this void of strategic leadership, and you want that. Like that's not just. I mean, you're you're wanting that, and so. For a church like you as a leader, there are shifts that you have to make. There are structures that you have to, to, to put into place. How has that come to play? I mean, what have you learned? I mean, how long have you been at North Rock Hill now? About 19 months. Yeah. So what, what are some of those structures and shifts that you've had to make as a leader so that you can equip the people that God has entrusted to you? You know, one of the most important things for me was that just to be able to recognize that I was following a good leader. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the leader, uh, Jay, who was here before me, had laid some foundation for solid vision and, uh, and uh, begun to cultivate some, some values, you know, to really discover what was here. Um, I think his, his role ended up being a little shorter because he got called to something bigger and it was absolutely the right move for him. Uh-huh. What we recognized was even though we had good bones and a lot of healthy things about our church, there was some clarity that was missing. Okay. The vision had leaked a little bit uh, because, uh, you know, Jay had, had cast vision really well. He had led so well. I'm so grateful for him. Uh, But it just, there hadn't been enough time uh, for it really to take root. And so uh, the the interim guys, they led well, the staff here led well, but without that visionary leader at the front, some things had leaked. So we began to really just, uh, Decide, okay, let's, let's lead our folks through um, really a discovery process of who are we as a church. It's going to help me. It's going to help me get to know us, but it's going to help us get to know us. Really, it's going to be something that protects us from, um, from that leaking, uh, that drifting that, that can sometimes happen in, in a church or any organization, really. So this discovery process, what did that look like? Was it yeah, so, questions? Was it, I mean, services? What would you do? So we did a we, we spent a lot of time in front of people in our church who who you would you would uh, um, recognize as engaged, influential, uh, bought in, experienced. They've been here a while, that kind of thing, and just really asking a lot of questions of what they saw, what they what they thought was important. Uh, and then we developed a survey. We used an anonymous survey. I think we even went through Survey Monkey to do it, but we sent okay. it to everyone on our, in our database that we would identify as a key leader or leader of teams. Okay. Uh, so everybody from, from discipleship group leader to uh, curriculum coordinators in, in, uh, in, in students or, or children's ministry to, um, to staff, to, you know, elders, whoever it may be. Yeah. And we began to uh, just ask the questions and we left them very open uh, what are some of the most identifying words that come to mind when you describe North Rock Hill as a church? Mm. Why are you here? What is it that brought you here? Mm. Um, what are the things that you hear celebrated at North Rock Hill Church? Okay. What do you wish was celebrated? Uh, what was the best thing you've seen? You know, those kind of things. And so really what I find is, you know, you can start a business, Chris, and you can decide what your core values are going to be and then go hire that kind of person. Yeah. But really, we don't get to pick who God brings to us in the church. Hmm. There's a necessary discovery, not determination of core values. Yeah. So what we decided was we're going to have a handful of core values that are readily evident in the people that God has, has, uh, has gathered here, that if redeemed can be the, the, the DNA of our church. And, and no more than one or two of those needs to be aspirational. Yeah. They need to be, you know, really, who has God brought here? And so what we began to understand is our church is a very introverted church. Okay, interesting. Our church, uh, which is super interesting, is very different from where I came. But we also began to see that our church greatly valued um, biblical literacy and, and, and the inerrancy of the word, which is awesome. You know, that's a, a mandated core value. It was also evident in our folks. So biblically rooted, immediately emerged. Yeah, the word, the word gospel was all through good because that's what we want to be gospel centered, right? So, and, and so we ended up with about right out a hundred uh, surveys, and then we took okay. those surveys and compiled the results. So all all we did was um, 
I got our, our admin team to, uh, to, to sort them out and see what words appeared the most. Okay. Uh, were there some readily evident categories that were, that were uh, just statistically prevalent in the, in the results? And so the words gospel, the words biblical, biblical truth, uh, the words missional, uh, the word relationship, some of those were immediately standouts. Um, standouts, yeah. And so then we started mining for the nuance within their statements. So we collected all the statements that contained those words and began to mine for the nuances and look for the trends or the, the desires of our people. What were the things that they were saying without saying it? Wow. I began to interview some of the people um, that, that were willing to be a part of that, that we knew were high. We didn't know who, the, we didn't know who filled out the surveys. We didn't have any names. Um, but we started going to people and with that, with what we had from the surveys, asking them to react to it, to speak into it, it became a ready, uh, a, a, a ready-made conversation for our staff and for our uh, advisory team, our elders to discuss. And we, we whittled it down to seven, seven, seven core values, seven okay. statements of this is who we desire to be as a okay. church. Six of those readily evident in our people and the seventh being an expressed aspirational value that our people were, were, were all in um, the unanimously almost saying we need to grow in this area. If we don't do this right, we're not, we're not getting it right. And could you, could you share us what those six and seventh are those values? Sure. So uh, biblically rooted gospel centered missional living Multiplication-minded, um, authentic, relational, and then that seventh one, that, that, that aspirational value is prayerfully dependent. Prayerfully dependent, okay. We, we valued prayer, but we could not say that we were dependent mm. upon the Lord to move for the things that we were going to do. Uh, and so we, we began to look at those, and, and it really, really began to, to uh, drive conversation toward how are they evident? How do we know if we're doing it or not? How do we know if this is really who we are? Uh, how do we articulate these in a second statement that really makes them clear of how we define them? And now, now how does that in, impact our decision-making and our, our language in this church? Are these the big foundational DNA blocks that you were talking about in our conversations? Yeah, Chris. We, I find everybody knows their vision statement. Yeah. And every idea I've ever had, I can convince you, fits under the umbrella of the vision statement. Mm-hmm. Um, most people know their mission statement or their strategy, and that eliminates a few ideas, or at least it at least tweaks how I go about implementing my idea. But the core values become that that filter, that DNA piece that really tell us what to say yes, and maybe more importantly, what to say no to. Mm-hmm. And and really a calibration point for all things, budget, staff environments, strategies, uh, what we celebrate, um, what we chase after, those kind of things. And so what I'm finding is our church was in desperate need of a clarity of who we are. The question I got asked the the most is, hey, what kind of church are we going to be? What are we going to do? What do you want us to do? What are we going to do next? Cast some vision. Um, But the vision was clear. Mm -hmm. The how and the why was not clear. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, I tell our staff, what we need to do is we need to be so clear and so confident 
in the foundational, uh, the big rocks that make it make up the, the, the non-negotiables of the foundation of what we're doing and who we are as a church, that you guys can dare to try things and to contextualize all the other parts of your, your ministries, your strategies, your organizational uh, scope uh, around those, and we'll still land in the right place. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of like Jesus led the disciples. I, I love to go back to him. You know, he, he's Jesus, so we, yeah. we should anyway, right? But, um, you know, in, the, in Luke, when he sends out his, um, his disciples the first time, it, it blows my mind. Because uh, if you read the, read the New Testament, I'm pretty sure that half of them weren't even positive he was the son of God yet. Mm. Um, they didn't really know everything about him. They didn't really know what he was sending them to do long-term. He just was really foundational in here's what's important. Go do these things. Mm. And he sent them out two by two and he brought them back and they talked about it. And then he immediately multiplies them to 72 in the next chapter of Luke and sends them back out. Mm. And, And what I see is this clarity around if you'll, if you'll do it in my name, you'll figure it out, right? Do it in my name, make, make this truth known, make this message known, do these few things. And then you just be you for the rest of it. And so the stories that unfold are, you know, Peter ministered to a different kind of person than Matthew. And, and John had a much different style than Mark. But they all were about the same mission and the same clarity around it. Mm-hmm. And he gave them room to be them within, this, within this, bigger, this bigger focus. And I'm seeing that happen for our staff. You know, when we, when we got clarity about what we're doing and how it plays out, they began to feel permission without me even saying it out loud to go personalize things to the context of their needs or the context of their personalities or skill sets or what they've seen before and even started feeling permission to fail in in certain areas, as long as they were trying things that were in alignment with who we had decided we were. Yeah. Um, The identity clarity start began to drive, drive intentionality and, and really clarity for them within the context of their individual departments. It was, it was pretty awesome. Good. Wow. I love how you did talk to about like six of them were readily evident, but one yeah. of them was, was, was more aspirational. And I yeah. think that uh, it's probably like, I don't know what your plans are down the road, but I could see, I mean, I could definitely put this in the show notes, but um, just creating like a digital assessment that people could take to evaluate themselves. So I've seen seen churches do this too, where you maybe create modeled by or demonstrated by statement. So like, like for instance, I worked with this one church one time and we, we set one of their kind of core ideas, their modeled by statements or their, um, they called them measures was, am I close to someone far from God? It was just evangelism. That's what they right. would be about. And so asking that question, am I close to someone far from God might be good. Um, and you might be able to say, yeah, on a scale of one to six, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a four or I'm a five, whatever. But like when you start creating demonstrated by statements, like pray, like, so Romans 10, one praying by name for the lost to be saved. Um, Colossians 4.3, spending time with people who are far from God, um, demonstrated or modeled by finding ways to minister to people's needs, Matthew 20, 28. Mm-hmm. Um, like all of a sudden I'm evaluating myself in a different lens and I'm not a four at that point. I feel almost like I'm a two, um, you know, so like, yeah, um, it's so important, man. We're, yeah, we're, so, we're doing that now, um, going through, you know, how do we know, uh, when these things are happening? Uh, what, what do we measure 
that even if someone had an idea that, that they wanted to do something different or someone close to us didn't like what we're doing, because uh, let's be honest, if one person close to you says it's not going well, it feels like a hundred people said it. Yeah. How can we be so clear on the measures and the evidences of these values that we're willing to point to those and say, no, we believe in this so clearly and so completely that even if, even if people we love decide to leave because their values are different, as long as we're tracking in the right direction, we're going to keep going. That's good. Uh, I think that's really important. The second thing it did for us is, is what you're talking about, Chris, these evidences and measures. It really showed us, I think maybe even more importantly than what was aspirational, but what values were latent or, or even dying. Yeah. Like for instance, you know, I, I did this, we did this crazy thing here. We, we made the decision to plant a church. I'm not even two years in yet. We just sent a hundred people out to plant a church. Wow. Uh, the clarifying moment for that was that we say we're multiplication minded, but we're not doing anything um, to put that into place outside of our walls. Mm. So the, as elders, we, we began to look at this and we said, this is a latent value. There's still yeah. power in latency, right? But you have to tap yeah. into it. You have to pull it back to the surface. So good. Or it dies. Yeah. And so for us, it's like, we can wait till we're ready. And if we do that, we're probably not a multiplication minded church. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to do it when we're o- to be obedient, not ready. We need to do it out of obedience and out of faith and out of dependence or, or it's not really a value. Yeah. And so in, in pulling that to the, to the top, man, it was scary. You know, we, we sent out a, a lot of people. We sent out some of our best people. I sent out a staff member. Um, it was scary. Probably a lot of people thought it was nuts for a new pastor and it's not even two years in to do that. Wow. But, but what it did was it really brought that multiplication mindset back to the forefront. Mm. And so it didn't die and become aspirational. It, it, it was raised back up and became primary again. And now we're seeing a, apprentice, apprentice learners. We're seeing um, uh, mentors and we're seeing people arm in arm walking together to show them how to do it next. And it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's changed things very quickly for us by recognizing that, Hey, if we're measuring these things and those are the evidences, then either that's not a core value or we need to bring it back to the surface. Mm. Uh, It's been a big culture shaper for us. Well, it it definitely sounds like, and, and I know that we've kind of talked about this a little bit offline that this process for you it's, it's, cre- it's breeded simplicity, which really yes. breeds clarity and then breeds involvement and engagement in your people. So could you kind of maybe land the plane with us on this and just kind of talk to us? I know you mentioned you shared with me some stuff about Mickey Mouse and, and the hand <laughs> yeah. and just how that like, could you just end kind of with that and what that means to you with that imagery? Yeah. One of the things that I used to teach people in corporate America uh, was I wanted my supervisors to to manage their operations and manage their people and their teams like Mickey Mouse manages your expectations at Disney World. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and here, here's what I mean by that. When you go to Disney World, before you buy a ticket, you can stand next to Mickey Mouse and see if you're tall enough to ride. His hand never moves 365 days a year. Uh, all the time, whatever the safety standard that they have said is for you to ride the rides, if you're tall enough, the measure is readily evident. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you can be disappointed by buying a ticket and going inside and not being able to ride, 
Uh, but you really shouldn't because the, 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 the standard has been expressed. It's unchanging. They believe in it. They adhere to it. It is, it is one of the things that they don't compromise upon. And they communicate it really well. So you bring that into the church. You start talking about discipleship. You start talking about eternity and changed lives. I think there's, there's certain things that are really fluid. Uh, there's th- certain things that are really contextual and, and really kind of feel abstract when you start talking about waiting for the spirit to move on someone's heart, things like that. But, but how we manage staff, how we manage um, strategy, how we manage uh, you know, the, 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 the nuance of our part in the mission of God, uh, shouldn't be that way. You know, obviously we hold things loosely so that God can lead us how he wants to. But in these things that he's given us clarity on, we are uncompromising. Yeah. We are uncompromising on these things. I tell our folks, hey, man, you're either tall enough or you're too short. And here you're, you're too short. We're, we're, we're doing an event. It only meets one of the values. That's not how we do things here. Mm. Come back to me when that event can help us move the ball in at least three. Mm. Or we don't do that event. Um, hey, your budget is really weighted to this value and, and really lacking in these. That's not how we do things here. Hmm. We don't ever move the standard. And so there's very few things we're that concrete about, right? Yeah. And, and there's very few things that, that, that Disney World is that concrete about. Anybody can come in their park, but yeah. you can only ride if you're tall enough. That's right. Because to ride if you're too short is dangerous for mm-hmm. you and dangerous for Disney. It could, it could cost them everything. Mm. So for us, we're trying to be resolute and concrete in the things that either Scripture demands of us or in the discovery of who God has gathered here mm. so that we become uh, an, asset-based, um, an asset-based ministry instead of a needs-based ministry. Like we're, we're trying to leverage who God has gathered. We're trying to leverage who God has uniquely called us to be as this mm. expression of the local church. And it really helps us have clarity. And what it does for these guys is those kind of standards have already been defined. Hmm. Uh, Mickey's hand never moves. Uh, We're unwavering on those. And so there's lots less decisions that they have to make in how they move forward within the strategy of the, of the, of the ministries that they lead. And so I've got student minister here who's, uh, very, uh, very gifted in certain ways, and he's leveraging those gifts within the core values, and we're seeing our student ministry grow and prosper and mm-hmm. actually become catalytic in our church as they're living out the values in a way that students would. Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of room for personality and creativity because the, the structure is built and is uncompromising. We're not moving things around. You can build around it. Yeah. Well, I love the way that you frame this up. I love the process that you've taken us through. And I'd love to, in the show notes, maybe um, add some of the questions that you asked um, in yeah. your original uh, inquiry to identify the words and then maybe identify the nuances, how you did that. And um, I definitely think that what you've done is a process that you could implement no matter whether you've got 25 people in your church or you've got, you know, 2,500 people in your church. So absolutely. Um, I, Chris, we're not a huge church. I mean, yeah. we're, we're running, uh, we're, we're, we were running about 550 before we launched the church in August. And now we've been running about 480. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of that medium sized church. We're, we're the size church that a lot of people tell you is the, the hardest to do these things in. Yeah. What we're finding is that that eight, 10 months that it took to gain that clarity 
mm-hmm. has become catalytic in expediting the things that we're chasing. It's really mobilized us and helped us tap into volunteers, tapped into leadership development, tapped into uh, new strategies, all these things um, to where we're, we're seeing it emerge. Like I don't want to paint the picture like we're done, but there's a clarity emerging that is, that is beginning to show effect and uh, you could do it anywhere. That's good. Well, we'll put some of that stuff in the show notes. Um, I'm going to also maybe put on the show notes how you could create a survey. So I'll create a video that redirects so you could actually take some of these questions um, and I'll do like a little demo on that. So if you've never done that before and this is something you're interested in, then totally you'd be able to launch something like this. Um, I think too, like, um, you know, if, if you guys want to connect with Chad, you could always email him at chad at northrockhill.com. Um, and I know that he would love to probably help you out with some of the stuff or if you had questions. But I, mean, I want to thank you for joining us today, Chad, and uh, just your leadership and just what God's doing. I mean, you're definitely putting your money where your mouth is in this process. And it's cool to see. I'm excited to learn and, and see the fruit in the next months. I think that's another thing I learned from you too, is that this is, this isn't something that happens overnight. This is a crock pot kind of process. For sure. So that's probably important to realize too. So I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Hey, Chris, thank you, man. Our staff's better because of our relationship with you and Grace Church. I just want to thank you for what you're doing, man. Anytime we can help, well, we want to. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it so much. Well, hey, if you guys um, have enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love it if you could rate or review. Uh, maybe you want me or one of the people on our team to come to your church or business and provide a collaborative training opportunity for your team. Shoot me an email at uh, chrisrivers at culturebus.cc. I'd love to help you take a next step in that direction. And just thanks again for joining us today on the Culture Bus Tools podcast. I'll see you next month.